Bibles with you, please open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Easter Sunday, I spoke about um, relationship, how Easter was all about relationship. And that was a springboard for me to start a new series of messages, a new series on relationships. And so um, we've spent the last two weeks talking about our relationship with God. In the weeks to come, we'll talk about relationships with our spouses, with our children, our friendships, and then our relationships with those who are outside the church. So I want to focus on relationships for a while. In my first message on relationship, I talked about the difference between loving relationship with God versus a performance-based Christianity. I think all of us have at one time or another fallen into the trap of a performance-based Christianity. And it's really not what God designed. Um, I found personally that the key to overcoming performance-based Christianity is to think generationally. We looked at the differences between what it means to be part of a family versus part of a team, and we're to be a family. He's our father. We're his sons and daughters. It's family. And we looked at the differences between performance-based Christianity and loving relationships. All these messages, as usual, are on our website um, and you can listen to them for free. Last week, we looked at um, our relationship with God as friendship with God. John 15, in John 15, Jesus calls us friends. And the only command connected to that friendship is the command to love. The type of friendship referred to in John chapter 15 is a best friend type of uh, situation. The type of relationship that you might have of, hey, I want to invite this friend to be part of my wedding party. You, know, you want your best buddies, you want your best girlfriends to fill those roles. I told you last week how Jesus modeled this type of relationship that he wants us to have with God. He could have done this any, any way he wanted to. He could have communicated the path to salvation and connected this with God anyway. He wanted to, but Jesus came, and his life was a model of relationship. He was friends with these guys. They ate together, traveled together, ministered together. They discussed it privately. They celebrated together at weddings. They mourned together at the death of friends. They argued with one another. Who's the greatest? <laughs> right? They did it relationally. That's not a mistake. It's not a sidebar. It's, it's, it's not just... Because it was by design. They shared life. They shared and experienced life together. And I believe that that model is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. We talked about old ways and new ways. How an old way, at least for me, from my experience, and maybe for some of you, was hardcore following spiritual disciplines. You know, like reading so many chapters of the Bible every day, memorizing scripture, you know, fasting, tithing, journaling. None of these are bad things, but good can become enemy at best. And if the process somehow displaces relationship, then we're missing the boat, right? How, did, how, how many of you know that you can read three chapters a day, memorize scripture, and journal, and do it all absent of intimate relationship with God, right? It's like punching a clock, going through the motions. That's an old way. A new way is to go where the life is. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If there's no life in it, he's not in it. Where is their life? Go that way. If life for you is worship, then worship. If life for you is um, doing intense, deep study of the scriptures, and that's life-giving to you, and you can feel him in that, well, then do that. But if life for you is walking on the beach and talking to him, <laughs> then go walk on the beach. Go with his life. <laughs> and I shared some personal experiences how God revealed to me how the highest place is friendship with him. There's no higher place. Well, I want to continue the series today on relationship. But I want to switch from our relationship to God, um, that, that uh, vertical relationship, and more on begin looking at some of the horizontal relationships. I want to talk about marriage. And so today will be a little bit different. I've got Nadine with me. And we'll get to do this one together. And we're going to kind of interview one another. Now, we don't consider ourselves experts in marriage by any stretch of the imagination. We've just done this for a long time, almost 29 years. June will be 29 years, right? That we've been married. Thank you. And we still like each other, okay? <laughs> I think we got at least a couple of things right. And so though we don't consider ourselves um, experts, we just figure we'll share with you uh, some of the things we've learned on our journey. And we'll cover a variety of topics. So if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5, please follow along um, as I begin reading in verse 21. And I'm going to be using the message today. Oh, Nadine, you're going to read it, right? Honey, why don't you read the... Uh, <laughs> baby, why don't you read those verses for <laughs> Thank us? Thank you. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So, just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the, whole, the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Mm. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how a husband ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Very well. I love that good translation. Time. I like it too. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff, right? Husbands ought to go all out in your love for your wives. Wow. A love marked by giving, not getting. Good stuff. 
We like print it out and give it to all the guys. We think. And the women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we have our part too. Well, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help Nadine and I today to um, share life-giving material with your people. I pray that the end of this message would give people some practical, helpful tools uh, for a healthier marriage relationship. Help us do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, Nadine. Yes, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) What are your top three tips for a healthy marriage? Well, let me see. No, I have it right here in my notes. The first one I would say is priorities. For me, if you have your priorities straight, then everything else will fall into place. And the priorities should always be God, your spouse, your children, and then yourself. And if you keep those in right order, everything else kind of falls into place. Priorities. Priorities. The second thing is love. Um, I have a few sub-points. One is love the other more than yourself. Giving to that person without expecting anything in return. You do something nice, not because you want him to do something nice in return. You just do it because you love that person. No strings attached? No strings attached. And the other thing about love is to remember that love is a decision. Now, some days, that decision is very easy to do. <laughs> other days, not so much. <laughs> and on those days that it's not so much easy to love, those are the days we have to love even more. Mm-hmm. And um, know his love language. There are five love languages. The first one is physical touch, words of affirmation, which is Tom's love language, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and uh, we kind of have a sixth one, which is food. (laughs) We consider food a love language. So, yeah. And the thing about love languages and what it's important to know what your spouse's love language is, is because that way you don't express your love in your love language. See, it doesn't help for me, for Tom to speak words of affirmation to me. That's his love language. And even though I love when he says I love you, I prefer quality time and physical touch. And so when he does that, that's showing me his love for me. You see, and when I give him words of affirmation, that's you know, in nice dinner, it's <laughs> <laughs> showing my love for him. <laughs> so it's important to know your love language. And the last point would be um, support and respect. Um, I find it's very important to always have his back, and you always have his back in public. In public, I mean um, outside the home and inside the home in front of children, in front of family, in front of friends. Um, You can disagree in private, and you save that stuff for when you two are alone. Mm -hmm. Try not to do that in public. It makes other people feel uncomfortable, and it just doesn't, it degrades your relationship in front of others. It's not necessary. Um, What do you say about the other person? Be mindful of what you say about your spouse. And and always express your love for them so all can see. I mean, you don't have to know us for two minutes and know that I kind of like this guy. Because <laughs> I I, I'm not afraid of showing that. So I find that those are the, my top three. Mm-hmm. So Tom, mm-hmm. what are your top three mm-hmm. <laughs> tips for a healthy marriage? Um, 
have faith in God. I mean, I've found that having Christ as the center in my life is what, it's like my power plant. It's the well that I can draw from um, to love me. Um, I find if I'm not in a good place with him, it's amazing. I've been a Christian a long time, and it's amazing to me my capacity for sin. You know, that if I'm, if I'm not in relationship with him, my ability to just go to the dark side can happen very quickly. But if I want to be able to love her, I can't do that in my own strength. My flesh burns up really quickly. But if, I, if I'm in a good place with God, if, I, if I'm drawing on his love for me, it makes it a whole lot easier for me to love her. And so I'd say you know, that would be the first thing. The second thing I've learned over time is that it's more important to love than it is to be right. It's loving Nadine is more important to me than winning the argument. And that's hard sometimes, you know, especially when you feel like you're right. I know that I'm right. Of course I know that I'm right. I always think I'm right. <laughs> if I didn't think I was right, I would change my mind, right? I would think something else. And you wouldn't argue. And I wouldn't argue. <laughs> that's right. But there are times where I have to make the choice that loving Nadine is more important than winning this argument. And that's an expression of love. Um, magic words. Gentlemen, magic words. And I don't mean to, to use this manipulatively or to lie, but these are magic words. Okay? Honey, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was wrong. Please forgive me. Honey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Nadine... I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And the power that those words can have to disarm a situation when they're said without sarcasm, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> and no eye-rolling. <laughs> yeah, no eye-rolling when you say it. No. Said with tenderness right. and, and genuinely. And if the fight is really big, you might have to repeat that a couple of times <laughs> until it sinks into her right. brain that you're apologizing. Because right. then she's like, oh, okay. Because you get on a roll. You know what I mean, ladies, don't you? You know, you get on a roll when you're, in a, when you're upset. Yeah. So. <laughs> now, Nadine was born in Haiti. Most of you guys know that. And so in her house growing up, they spoke French or a Haitian dialect called Creole. Now, in the years, especially in the early days, we would have an argument and... I knew that I pushed it too far when she was slipping from English back into French or Creole. That was usually the sign to shut up, <laughs> back away slowly, and make no sudden movements, you know? And repeat constantly, honey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me, you know? That um, didn't happen. Not, only a handful of times. I'm a quick learner, you know? Um, a couple other things. Romance never has to die. I don't think it ever has to die. Um, and as the man in the relationship, I take it as my responsibility to foster romance. I need to be the initiator. Um, I need to make sure that those things happen. How? Well, Nadine already said her love language is quality time together. So for her, it means a date night. And it sometimes... You know, date nights me, we can go to dinner and a movie or something, you know, a little spendy. But a date night can be as easy as snuggling on the couch and popping some popcorn, you know. And the snuggling part, because her other love language is physical touch, she loves to snuggle. So cuddle time. So romance never has to die. I take responsibility for it. 
And then I'll add a fourth one here in my top three tips. Is, um, I said three. I know. <laughs> but come on. I'm a preacher, you know? It's a bonus. It's a bonus. This is an extra. The extra is a unity in major life decisions. Some top, one of my top tips for a healthy marriage. At some point in your marriage, you're going to have to make a, a, a major decision. You're going to have to move. You're going to buy a house. You're going to you know, make a major expenditure or change a church. These are, for us, these have been some major life decisions. We've moved across the country and back. Man, to go as far as I can go so that we can have unity in that decision, to wait as long as we need to wait, work through all the issues we need to work through so that we're both on the same page when we have to make a major life decision. I think that's been a, a key point for us. It has been. And, you know, going back to the romance thing, romance doesn't happen just on your anniversary and her birthday. <laughs> just a little hint. Yeah. The best romantic times are the ones that happen for no reason whatsoever. Spontaneous. When you, spontaneous. When you get a rose for no reason whatsoever. You know, you don't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be a dozen roses. It could be just a little box of chocolate or whatever she likes. You know, for me, sometimes... T- <laughs> Okay, I'm going to tell one story, okay? We're, um, I can't even remember the song. But Tom heard this country song on the radio, and it reminded him of me. It was a love song. Do you remember what song it was? I don't, I don't even remember so what song ago. it was. It was a long time ago. And he went to the store to look for this song so he could buy it. And he found it on a little cassette tape. And so he brought the cassette tape took it home, put it into the tape recorder, and cued it to that song. And the moment I walked in from work, he says, Honey, I love you. I want to share something with you. And he he takes me, and I go, What are you doing? He goes, No, 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 just wait. Stand right here. And he pops in the, uh, he presses play, and the song comes on. He goes, Dance with me. And we dance right there in the living room, and I cry. (laughs) That was so romantic. He goes, I heard this song, and I thought of you. I so, you know, you could be very imaginative. Mm-hmm. This is where creativity comes in. You know, those spontaneous romantic moments are the best. Yeah, that's funny. I was thinking of that exact same story. <laughs> so, so those are our top tips. There are different seasons to life. Now, I, I asked the teenagers to stay in here today because though none of you guys are married yet, your day will come. So you might, you might benefit from, you know, from some of the wisdom of us old folk, you know. But seasons of life, and, and the seasons in our marriage have been marked really by the children. I mean, there was a season when they were toddlers, and there was a season when they're teenagers, and then there's a season with the empty nest. And so we thought we'd talk about some of the different seasons. So um, what worked well for our relationship? We're not going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about husband-wife relationship. But what worked well for us, do you think, during the toddler years when Lisa and Tommy were... Um, one of the things was a, a consistent bedtime. For me, it was 7 o'clock when they were toddlers. So 7 o'clock became um, mommy hour. And because they were consistently put to bed at the same time or around the same time within 7, 7.30, they were asleep, that gave me that time on for Tom and for us to work on our relationship. If we did go on on a date night, most of the time it was after we put them to bed. So it wasn't like they were missing us. And so that worked for us. Or even we just pop a movie in a VC, you know, back then, a VCR, and, uh, <laughs> and just pop popcorn. It was, 
that was possible because we had a consistent you know, time for them. Um, the other thing was uh, we were blessed to have aunts and uncles nearby and grandma and grandpas, and we would every so often say, oh, you're going to have a sleepover <laughs> at grandma's house. Wee. <laughs> and let me tell you, that was great because, you know, a date is, is wonderful. That overnight is, is a new level. And um, the first time we did that, we missed them so badly. It was like, all we could do was talk about those kids. It's like, dang, what are we doing? And um, But as more time... We even came home early because we, we missed Lisa so much. I know. Right? So as time went on and we did that more often, we missed them less. <laughs> and it was good because it was healthy for them to be around other people that they can rely on, and it was healthy for us, for our relationship, to have that quality chunk of time together. Whether we went anywhere or didn't, sometimes we just stayed home, you know, (laughs) the house was empty. Other times, you know, we had a little money, we went somewhere. And and the other thing, when the kids were toddlers and and babies, is that when Tom walked in the door... um, I didn't dump the children on him the moment he walked in the door. He walked in the door, well, now it's your turn. You go change this diaper. You got to do this. You got to do that. You know, I remember working, and I remember coming home from work being exhausted. And I needed a good half hour, 45 minutes, for my downtime to unwind, shake the day off, change my clothes, you know, relax a little bit, and then I could face whatever was happening. Whenever that was interrupted, it was a little tougher for me. So I was mindful of that. And that was one of those things that when Tom came home, the kids greeted him. Yay, daddy's home. I said, good, guys, give daddy a chance to relax and unwind. He would sit down. Then he would help me. You know, then I could say, hey, babe, I got to get dinner on. Can you help the kid with this? Or can you change that diaper? Or, you know, could you give the baby a a bottle? I, I didn't do it when he first walked in the door. It wasn't fair. So that helped our relationship grow in doing that. Yeah, I wasn't annoyed at you every day when I walked in the door. No, because he came home, and it was a safe place. It was a a peaceful place. It was a nice place to come home to. And, you know, when they come home and it's a nice place to come home, guess what? They want to come home. (laughs) They don't dread coming home. It's like, oh, I'm going to walk in the door, and the first thing she's going to do is complain about her day, you know. (laughs) So... Yeah, I would, in the toddler phase, I would recognize that sometimes Nadine needed a break. I needed to be able to be mindful of the fact, you know, when she just had it, you know, when her, she was, you know, wrung out, and she was just done dealing with the toddlers, and, and to step in in that moment. And it, sometimes it just takes a little bit, you know? Like, <laughs> I can remember, you know, back in the early days, if she could just do grocery shopping without the children with her, okay? We shouldn't have to keep Tommy from grabbing everything off of every shelf. And he, the, I could just have them home with me. Those two hours just doing grocery shopping without the kids were energized you, right? Sometimes it's just little things like that. Well, you know, do something to, to you know, when I, be mindful of the fact that she would need a break. You know, we all love our children, but you know what? We need to miss them sometimes. We really do. So that we can love them for the long haul, we need a break from them. Our marriage needs a break from our children. I don't I hope this doesn't sound like blasphemy. But if I want to love my kids over the long haul, I need to not be with them sometimes because they will drive you crazy. Their needs and demands are endless. Their appetite for us 
is endless. And every once in a while, we need a little space. We need time to work on us. And that was really important when the kids were little. How about, um, how about the teenage years? Teenage years always presented a united front. <laughs> Nothing would um, kill our marriage is if we didn't present a united front. Because when you don't do that, what happens is the kids plays you one for the other, and or they know who's the softy, okay, and that's wrong. <laughs> and uh, even though you like being the good guy, they should always be a united front because then I didn't feel like a loser, you know, that he made me feel like a loser because he took up the side of the kid after I just, you know, said something and he took the side of the kid, you know. <laughs> it makes me look bad. And then that affects your relationship, believe it or not, because, you know, how you treat each other in, in parenting teenagers will affect your relationship, believe, uh, you, you know. You can lose respect for one another. You can lose respect for one another. So united front. Now, did we always agree on the punishments or what to do? No, sometimes he, he did or I did something that we didn't, the other one didn't agree with. But the united front was present. Later on, we'd say, hey, can we talk about what happened earlier? And then you know what? How we handled a similar situation changed the next time because of the united front. It was always united. And that's important for the kids. And the other thing with teenagers, um, or even when they were little, is model affection. You know, um, the kids will think it's gross, <laughs> and they will say, <laughs> Get a room. Get a room. You're in the kitchen. You know, and, and I would say, Hey, this is my house. All these rooms are my room. <laughs> <laughs> My house, I pay for every last one of these rooms. <laughs> Get over yourself. <laughs> now, even though they say, ooh, oh my gosh, they're at it again. They're kissing. Why you got to always kiss? Why is Don't look. My daughter said, don't look at him with those eyes. You know? <laughs> so don't look at him with those sex eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't look at him I with those eyes. I need therapy. Like. <laughs> That's why she's becoming a psychologist. <laughs> I think so she can help herself out all those years. But... But here's the thing. No matter how much they complain, they will mimic what they get modeled. So what they mimic is you have to ask yourself, do I want them to mimic we never touch and we have a cold relationship and that we don't love one another and I'm not affectionate for him or that we argue <laughs> or that we don't present a united front? Or do I want them to mimic a loving relationship between a husband and wife our daughter has said at 26 years old what she's looking for in a husband is someone who will treat her the way that her father treats me with all the ewes and yuck get a room mm -hmm. that's what she says at 26 you know and so to me that's success for me you know you have anything to add to that, sweetie? Um, I've heard it said that the best way a father can love his children is to love their mother. And so just, you know, I found that, um, you know, I just, you know, I really agree. I just agree with you. That, um, you know, when they're teenagers especially, um, that if we can model for them. Actually, they will probably mimic whatever they see modeled. And so if we model it well... Um, it'll 
It'll help them in the long run. As a father, I want Lisa to marry a good man, right? Well, then I better be a good man. So how about his empty nesters? What have we learned since the kids are gone? Well, when they left, we cried, but then we got over it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Lisa and Tommy, I love you. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) You know, they they leave, and you go, oh, my baby, they're not going to come back to this house. And then you realize, ooh, it's not so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I've discovered a bag of potato chips has a shelf life of longer than seven seconds, right? And because we've worked on our relationship since we were first married, um, when the nest is empty, I still like him. Right. You know, I was like, I like him, and I like spending time with him. This is why I got married, is because I wanted to spend my rest of my life with him. Yeah. And when the nest is empty, you know, you don't feel empty because you still have each other. Right. You know? And so... Um, yeah, we've, we've traveled a lot over the years, and so we've had relationships with people all across the country, good relationships, deep friendships. And just like the kids have left the nest, relationships move on. Friends have moved on. The only one who stayed everywhere from the beginning until now is Nadine. And you've heard me say this before, I better like her, you know? And so it's never too late to begin investing in that relationship because you guys, you know, you'll be together for the long haul. So it's, I think we're starting to reap some of what we saw, some of the good things, right? And we miss our children. Yeah, I miss of them. I hate that they're across the country. You know, I hate that they're across the country. When they call, I get very excited. Ooh, Lisa, ooh, Tommy, you know, I get to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And um, when we get to see them, I hug them and kiss them and slobber all over them, you know, <laughs> until they leave and then I cry and then I get over it again. And that's uh, the circle of life, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. The circle of life. We're preparing ourselves for the grandparent phase, oh, right? I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to some grandbabies. I hope you children are listening to this tape. Just saying. Next next topic. How to fight fair. How do we fight fair? Got got any ideas on that? I do. Because we're going to fight. Yes, because um, John Nyan was a mentor early on in life, and he says if... um, if you don't fight occasionally, then one of you is not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. He would say, <laughs> so if the two of you agree all the time, then one of you is not necessary. There's got to be a point where there's going to be disagreement. Right. It's, that's, not a, that's not a problem. No, and it's not a bad thing to disagree. Right. It's not a bad thing to you know, argue over so often. But you right? can't fight dirty. No. Fighting right. dirty is bad. It's not cool. Just like I learned Tom's love language, there is a language for fighting. <laughs> and um, you know what it is. You know what buttons to push and what buttons not to push. After a while, you know what, if you say a certain phrase or if you say something, it's going to set the other person off, okay? So don't do that. <laughs> That's fighting fair is when you don't do that, don't right? Don't push the button. Don't push the button, you know? Um, early on in our marriage, Tom came from a household that would talk out their problems we would talk it, talk it, talk it. Talk it to talk death. To <laughs> oh Let's my goodness. discuss this. I want to know how you feel. Oh my God. I don't know. Give me a break. <laughs> Back away. <laughs> <laughs> Your family can talk about anything. My family talked about nothing. We just ignored things, right? <laughs> we ignored it until it went away, and then we moved on. <laughs> so here I'm married to somebody who wants to 
stop. I would chase her around the apartment. Honey, 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 let's talk about this. She's like, ah. I wanted to scream or hit him with something. You know, <laughs> I just couldn't handle it. So we had to learn, all right? We both had to learn. He had to learn to give me space, uh, process my thoughts, gather them, have them in my head, understand my feelings. It was very hard for me to be in touch with my feelings. Believe it or not, I know I'm an unusual chick. You know, the touchy-feely thing was not my, my thing. And so it took a while. So he would give me my space. But I had to learn to express what I was thinking and what I was feeling. So we both had to move it up. You know, he had to slow down, come down this way. I had to move up this way and meet each other, yeah. you know, in a, in a place that was kind of healthy and normal right. for us. And still, my preferred method is let's talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And Nadine's preferred method is, well, let's just pretend it's not there until it goes away. And, and so one, one, of the, you know, one of the tips I've learned for fighting fair is I will... I will play this circumstance, the situation in my head again and again and again and again. I will analyze it. I'll break it down. I'll have all my, my points on why I'm right, and I'm ready. Charts. <laughs> I don't think I've ever come up with charts. I, I probably know. could. That's <laughs> just a joke. <laughs> but I come loaded, and I'm ready to fire. And in the early days, I'd make a mistake. I'd, you know, I'd walk in, and she's, she's completely unaware that... I've spent the last 17 hours pondering this, right? And then boom, 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 I, you know, I would unload on her, and she's completely unprepared. She hasn't spent the last so many hours thinking about the same issue. And so we found this to be helpful, especially for someone like me who was very verbal and really processed out loud for someone who, who wasn't that. I would come to Nadine, and, I, and I'd do this. This would really helped us. I'd say, honey, I'm thinking about this situation, fill in the blank. And I'd really like to discuss it with you. When would be a good time for you? So now I've communicated to her I have a concern. And, I, and she, knows, she knows I want to talk about it. But now I've given her fair warning. It's going to give her an opportunity to think about it. And then she can tell me when she'd like to talk about it. Well, I'd like to talk about it never. Well, <laughs> we need to compromise here because we're going to need to talk about this at some point. All right. How about tomorrow after we put the kids to bed? All right, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Now, she's had a chance to be prepared, too. And it kind of helped us find a, a, a level ground. That was real practical. That's helped a lot. That does. Right? And the other thing is don't bring up past mistakes. Yeah. You know what happens? Just like we, we have a pattern where we repeat sin until we, you know, get over ourselves and we conquer, you know, God's help conquer something. Well, in a relationship, you'll make the same mistake over and over again. And you apologize, and you'll move on from that. It does not help for the other person to say, again, you did this. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. already know that, that they did this again, <laughs> and they know it's an area they're working on. Yeah. Give them credit for that. <laughs> you know, give them the benefit of that. Scripture says keep, love keeps no account of wrong. That's right. right. That's Don't a hard one, guys. That's very hard. But love keeps no account of wrong. And sometimes you know, what can be a small disagreement can become a huge disagreement if you bring all of the stuff from yesterday you know, into it. One of the other things I've learned about fighting fair is don't, you know, don't take the nuclear option. All right? there are, there's pushing buttons. I, I've learned what Nadine's buttons are, and if I push them, it's just not worth it. Right? But then there's the nuclear option. You know, if I use the B word, 
right? I'm a dead man. Okay, ladies, you know. He did that once right. in the very, very, very beginning. And, and, the, scar, <laughs> and the scars are almost gone. <laughs> right? If I, if I, if I'm just looking for a fight, if I go there, we're going to have a doozy. It's going to be huge, right? So, you know, what's the nuclear option in your mind? If I say to Nadine, "You're just like your mother, your sister, or uh, you know, fill in the blank," you're just like I go there, boom, that's a nuclear option for us, and I've learned it's just not worth going there, you know? So not to take uh, the nuclear option, and never get physical. It's never justified, never, ever justified to get physical with another. And ladies, don't hit him, you know? I was just going to say that. Yeah. I was going to say that. It goes for you too, ladies. Mm-hmm. You know, As much as you want to take that thing and th- fling it at his head, don't do it. <laughs> Did you have anything else about fighting fair? Um, no, I think the think that's it kind of concerning i'll talk more about this uh next week but um men i'll elaborate more on this week, next week but just to touch on it men don't dominate your wives don't manipulate your wives don't treat your wife like she's a little girl all right don't speak to her don't treat her like she's a child she's not a child and don't manipulate your wives the other mistake i've seen men make often in their marriage relationship is they feign weakness. They fake being weak to draw upon their wives' maternal instincts. If you don't want her to treat you like she's your mother, then stop acting like a little boy. All right? And I'll have more to say on that next week. (laughs) And all the men say, okay, we're going to be sick next week. (laughs) (laughs) got to be a men's retreat somewhere in the country, right? Um, how about sex? Let's talk about sex. Ooh, I like this topic. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got teenagers in here, so I'll be good. Uh, in a marriage, in the marriage relationship, sex is a very good thing. It's a healthy thing, and it's an important part of the relationship. Okay? It's important to have fun. It's important to enjoy it. You know, before you get married, this is what you hear. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You can't do it. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, and so it's in your head. So then you get married and you're like this. <laughs> you, know, you don't know how to relax. You don't know how to have fun with it, you know, and all these things of don't, 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 don't all those years, you know. But see, now you got the license. And this is how I feel, okay? When you have a fishing license, you go and you pay money for it. and you have all the gear, you go and you go catch some fish, right? If you have a hunting license, you have to pay money for it. You go and you hunt, right? You actually have to go sit in a tree or one of those things. (laughs) And then there's a lot of work after you kill the thing, right? So for me, a marriage license is permission to do this aspect of the relationship. Okay, so you have it, you have permission, to have sex, okay? That's what the marriage uh, license is for. So it gives permission for you to have it. So have fun with it. Make time for it. Now, different phases of life, you have to be a little bit more inventive. (laughs) When you have toddlers, when you have teenagers, when you don't have anybody in the house, it's a lot easier. But, you know, you do have to make time for it. See what works for you. It's not going to work. What works for us is not going to work for everybody. So you got to, you know, talk about it. And um, the other thing, 
my mother said to me, the only thing she said to me before I got married was this, always be prepared for it. (laughs) (laughs) So I know all you gentlemen love me right now, but ladies, listen, always be prepared for it. (laughs) Okay? And this is the last thing I want to say about it. Never, ever, under any circumstance, use sex as a weapon. Because who are you really punishing? You know, if you enjoy it, then you're really kind of punishing yourself too. So don't ever use it as a weapon. Don't withhold it because you're mad at him. You know, work out the mad part. Don't use it as a weapon against your husband. It's not a good thing. And how many headaches can you possibly have in a lifetime? (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Yeah, so um, that's what I have to say. Being a pastor for a lot of years, I've sat with many, many married couples, and this topic of their sexual relationship usually comes up. And inevitably, one person is vastly more interested, and one is less interested. And it always, very rarely have I seen a marriage where they're both you know, on the same level playing field. So if you're the one who's more passionately interested in having sex on a regular basis, and your spouse is less interested then be more patient with them. If you're the one who's less interested, then step it up for their sake. Try to find a middle ground where you can work. and Otherwise, you'll propel in the opposite direction. And that's unhealthy. It, becomes, it can become a major issue um, in a marriage. Maybe the two largest issues that usually come uh, to my office is money and sex. And the sex one can really be worked out if you guys can just find a way to play nice together. Um, and I mean it. it you know, it's a wonderful gift that God's given us. He didn't have to make it pleasant or pleasurable, right? No. Um, and so, you know, keep that in mind. And men, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish in this part of the relationship. Let it all be about her. And you, um, you will be a very happy man if you choose not to be selfish. Let it all be about her. I remember hearing somebody describing dancing once, that the man is the frame and the woman is the picture. When it comes to your intimate relationship, let it all be about her. Let her be the center of attention. You be the frame and let her be the picture. Let her be the object of your affection. You know, and, you know, and don't use her. Delight in her. Okay? If you delight in her versus using her, that's when she becomes the picture. Does that make sense? Okay, just a couple of more, a couple of more topics. Let's talk a little bit about money. You mentioned this before about consulting each other with the big money items. Nothing could cause more trouble is when you go out and you buy something that's major, and you you know you didn't ask the other person about it. You didn't discuss it. Very early on, Tom said it was okay to share this story, so I'm going <laughs> to. Very early on in our marriage, um, he had to go get a guitar case. So in my head, a guitar case wasn't that spendy. All right, you don't need me to be there to purchase a guitar case. You have free reign to purchase this guitar case. It's between this certain amount of money. He came back and said, wow, cool guitar case. He goes, that's not just it. He opens it up, and out comes this $1,000 guitar. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, let me tell you. He's never done that again. <laughs> it was before we learned how to fight fair. <laughs> I remember her telling me she's, there wasn't a phone anywhere between here and the music store. There wasn't a phone. You couldn't at least call me. You couldn't go back to the store. What was was it a hot ticket album? There was ten other people waiting to buy this particular guitar. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't like we had the money for this. But he purchased a guitar, and I told him, "Okay, fine, I'll get over it." But for ten years, I don't hear nothing about a new guitar. For ten years, it's been twenty, <laughs> and, it's, and it's that same twelve-string guitar that I always oh, guitar. It was a very good guitar. It, it lasted a good. It's lasting a good long time. Yeah. yeah so discussing <laughs> the big ticket items, good idea. Not discussing them. Listen to me, guys. Not such a good idea. <laughs> right. Um, some other tips about money. It's not her money and your money. It's our money. You know, that's really important. The two, you know, hu- husband will leave his wife and his, uh, will leave his uh, father and mother, cling to his wife, become one flesh. One element about becoming one flesh is that it's one money. It's one bank account. You know, usually people hold on to their money and my money because they're really preparing themselves to leave at some point. I want to have my money so I can go. So mix the money, and um, don't play that game. I, I remember a couple, and they are now divorced, <laughs> where not only did he have her money, did he have his money and she had her money, but he paid these bills and she paid those bills. I'm like, guys, are you kidding me? I said, you are one. You need to mix it up together. Um, I think that's an important thing. Um, in your marriage, who has the better financial management skills? You know, some men feel like, I have to do this because I'm the man, you know. Um, but maybe she has the better skills. And so over the years, we've both done it. For a long time now, Nadine's done it. And it's been because a lot of times my job, either as a pastor or other jobs I had, there was financial management that was part of it. And so not to mix work and home uh, finances, Nadine's taken over. And she does, she's done a great job with it. So who has the better skills? To manage the finances. Well, be wise. Let them, let them, you know, manage the checkbook, but communicate with one another on what's going on, right? Right. Um. Any other things on money? No. The only other thing on money is I would encourage you to be generous. Uh, I love Second Corinthians chapter nine's take on, on giving. It says, "Remember this: whoever sows sparingly." will also reap sparingly. He who sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All of us, we've been Christians for a while, we've heard those verses. Do what God's put in your heart to do. Don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it because the pastor or anybody else has had to twist your arm to compel you to give. Do it freely. But we've found over the years that being generous um, seems to please the heart of God. And you just can't outgive him, right? No, you can't outgive God. Let's see, what else we got here? In hard times? We're almost done. Almost done, yeah. How about, let's talk about our relationship in the hard times. Everybody's going to hit hard times. There's going to be some season, some rough road, some dark valley you're going to be in, right? What have we learned from the hard times? Well... One of the major things is to cling to God. 
you pray for the other person when you're going through a hard time, not just for yourself. Remember, pray for them. You know, cling to each other. You know, don't repel each other. You, you know, some people tend to just, I'm going through a hard time. Leave me alone, you know, kind of a thing. Cling to the other one. Rely on their strength. Let them rely on your strength. Um, don't push each other away. Remember, they're not the enemy. The, the issue is the enemy, not them. Um, and this has worked for us, especially in dealing, like, with cancer, is to enjoy the good days, endure the bad ones, but always keep moving forward, you know, because it's so important not to stay where you are. If you stay where you are, you stay in that pit, you, you know, you just wallow in it, and it's not healthy. And the best thing you could do in hard times is just keep moving forward. Yeah, because the hard times will come, but they'll go as well. Sometimes you just got to persevere. You just have to endure through the hard time and get to the other side of it. In the hard times, be gracious to one another. I got to tell you, there were days when I was taking chemo, I was really cranky. I was, I was not easy to be around. I was just nasty. I remember one day in particular, at the, we were in Texas, right? And I'm getting treatment, and I just feel miserable. And Nadine is incredibly kind. She comes, and she, she brings lunch for us for the day and makes sure I have something to drink. And we have this little video player that friends gave us so we can watch something. And, and so she's sitting next to me. She's taking extraordinarily good care of me. Um, but the chemo would, would affect me in different ways. And at one point, the last time, it felt like I had super hearing. My hearing became, like, ultra-sensitive. And it's not like that all the time, but it was certainly that day. And I was just miserable. And she's sitting next to me. She's been taking care of me for hours. And she's eating lunch. And I turn around. I bark at her. I say, you're chewing too loud. <laughs> and this, you know, there's other people around. You know, she could have just, like, lopped my head off at that point. She would have been really justified in doing it. But she was really gracious to me. And we worked through it. And I apologized. And she forgave me. Honey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I have lots of practice at this, okay? That's how I know it really works. But she just, in the hard times, give extra grace to one another. You'll need it. You'll both need it, right? Um. There's also patterns sometimes, you know. Um, in early on in our relationship, when <clears throat> we were going to a church in Brooklyn, sometimes Tom would preach, the pastor would ask him to preach that Sunday just to give Tom practice, uh, you know, of preparing a message and delivering a message on a Sunday. And every Sunday he had to preach, we would get into a fight on the way to church. Every Sunday. It didn't matter, like, if we, we were both aware of it. It was just like, all of a sudden, I realized every Sunday that he preaches, we get into a fight. And I decided, Lord, help me. Not to fall into this pattern. Let's break this cycle so this doesn't happen. This is just awful. He's going to church, and he's going to preach, and we have a nasty fight. That makes no sense, right? Well, the next time he had to preach, I was praying that God would just cut this pattern in our lives. He said something. Normally, he would have just had my tongue out going, I can't do that sound. Thank you. <laughs> well, pa, <laughs> I'm not very good at sound effects. But it would have had my tongue out like like a whip at him. And then instead, I reeled the, the, 
the tongue in and didn't say a word. So what was the result of that? No fight. And by the time we got to church, he looked at me and he said, honey, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I snapped at you like that. That was wrong. Forgive me. I says, baby, it's okay. It's all right. I love you. You know what? That never happened again. Never got into another fight when he had to preach. So sometimes you have patterns on things, you know, uh, and to re- recognize that. If there's a pattern in your fighting, how do you break that cycle? Ask God. He'll reveal it to you, you know, and uh, you can break a cycle. Yeah. Um, in the hard times, let the problem be the problem. It's easy, like I see it like a lot of times in the hard times, it's like a tug of war between the husband and the wife. And if I can just get them both on the same side of the rope, pulling against the problem instead of pulling against each other, let the problem be the problem. Your wife isn't the problem, the husband's not the problem, the problem's the problem. So if you can both get on the same side of the rope and pull together, there's a greater chance you'll, you'll be able to overcome. Your spouse is not your enemy, right? That's right. Um, in the hard times, what if you're married to an unbeliever? I know that we have some people in the church, their spouses aren't Christians. Well, here, a couple of practical tips. This is good for the hard times. I think this is good just in general. Don't be religious. Really, don't be religious. Love is attractive. Religion is repulsive. But see if you're married to an unbeliever. Love is very attractive. Most people respond extraordinarily well to love. Most people repel when they have to endure somebody who's very religious. So choose to love that person and not be religious around them. Okay? Quoting scripture at them, everything they do is probably not your friend in the long haul. Okay? You know? And if you're, you know, Christians too, don't do that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more than once I've heard, don't be preaching at me, so wacky, you know? That's right. We're not in church right now. <laughs> And, again, if you're married to an unbeliever, remember, it's kindness that leads to repentance. Scripture says so. So love them. Be kind to them. That'll lead to repentance. And pray passionately for them. I'm sure you do. You know? But nobody has more authority to pray for, you, for the spouse than um, no, no man has more authority. I don't want to say this. Nadine has the most amount of authority to pray for me than anybody else. And I for her. And that's the case in the marriage. If you're married to an unbeliever, nobody is more effective, more authority to pray for them than you do. And so that's um, good. I mean, it's amazing. I'll be, you know, I usually prepare my messages on Saturday. And there were times, man, I just hit the wall. I got nothing. And the next day, Dean, pray for me. And if we're in the same building together, she'll lay hands on me. And as she's praying, thoughts come. Sometimes I'm here at the office doing and I'll call her up. Honey, I got nothing. She says, let me pray. She prays for me, and it's like something just breaks. It opens up. She really has authority to pray for me. Um, How about some final thoughts? Don't let the good be the enemy of best. No matter how good your marriage is, no matter how good your relationship is with your spouse, no matter how much you enjoy each other, keep working on it. Make it better. It always could be better. I am more in love with Tom today than I was when we stood in front of all our family and friends and said how much we loved each other. And I never thought that was possible, but and tomorrow I know I'll love him even more than I do right now. You know, so always work on it. Um, Like Facebook flirting? Like 
Facebook flirting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I like to that. flirt with your spouse on Facebook. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're disgusting that way, no, aren't we? No. <laughs> the other thing is, you know, the honeymoon was a destination, the place that you went to, but the feeling of it doesn't have to ever end. Right. You know? It never ends. I hear some people say the honeymoon's over. No, this is the place you went to to celebrate, you know, the wedding and the beginning of your marriage. That time, that destination, that place is over. But the feeling of loving and being passionate with one another never, ever has to end. You know, often Thomas will say, how's my bride? (laughs) 29 years. (laughs) How's my bride today? You know, um, so it doesn't have to end the feeling. And uh, remember your marriage vows. You know, I'm a I'm a big I'm a big ad, advocate for the traditional marriage vows because they have such strength in those words, and I don't mind you know saying something different you know or adding to them you know you want to write your own vows I think that's fabulous but there's something to the traditional ones of love honor obey love one another through sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times, um, for richer, for poorer, you know, and forsaking all others until death do you part. There is something very powerful in those type of words. And don't forget that you've committed to your spouse in front of people and God (laughs) and made that commitment. Don't forget that. And I will help to make things better and not that they're bad to begin with, just better. <laughs> yep. um, just a couple of final thoughts on my side. Um, love covers sin. Cover one another. Let the love that you have for one another cover the other's weaknesses, shortcomings. Forgiveness will set you both free. Forgiveness is awesome. If you're going to make it long-term in marriage, you know, you're going to have to be able to forgive. Um, and God's the source. You know, go to him often. Any other thoughts? I love you. Any questions? I think we covered a whole gambit of, you know, I think it's practical and real marriage topics. But anybody have a question, something maybe we didn't hit or need something clarified? All right, good. Let's pray. Anybody who wants prayer today, just stand up. Anybody, if you're married and you want, you need ministry for your marriage, or you need a blessing, just stand up. And maybe and I will walk around and we'll, and we'll pray for people. John, if you find some appropriate music, that would be great. Hmm. Lord, I think you are happy with the concept of marriage. You, it's your idea. And you call us your bride. And your son Jesus is coming back for us. And for that, we're thankful. Lord, I pray for all the marriages here today. Help us. Help us, oh God. It gets hard sometimes. Help us. Help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. I'm going to turn my mic off and Edie and I are just going to walk around the room and pray for people.
Attempt resuscitation on a lyrical dream Or I can just close my eyes And get down on my knees And let the color spill And this is what I wonder over life in the kitchen when I'm Funhouse, I'll love the me. 
说。